you got your Bibles today, we're going to be in Psalms 139. Psalms 139. So go ahead and open your Bibles into Psalms 139, and we're going to do that today. Last week, uh, we, we, well, a couple weeks ago, we started this series called The Deeply Formed Life. And what we're doing is we're looking at how God shapes us and molds us into the people that he wants us to be. See, God loves you just the way that you are. You need to know that. Some of us, when we go through life, when we go through struggles, we think that God is mad at us. How many of you guys have ever said, I, I felt like God was mad at me before? Like, I, I've lived that in my life. I felt like, you know, through my sin, through my failure, that God was angry with me. But you need to know this, that God loves you. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Jesus came and died for us. So before you ever started acting right, Jesus came and died for you. So God loves you just the way that you are. But the idea behind this series is that we don't just keep acting the way that we're supposed to, we, we always have acted. We don't just keep doing the same things that we're doing, going through the things, our words being the same things, you know, still lying, still cussing, still doing all the stuff that we're doing, still making the mistakes, still cutting corners at work. We go through the, we're not supposed to stay that way. We're supposed to be transformed into the likeness of God. And our, our core series, or our core verse in this series has been Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed, don't be shaped to the way that this world is. This world has a system. It has a way of thinking. It has a way of acting. It has a, a, a form that it wants you to kind of fit into a mold of. But what we have to do as Christians is we can't be conformed to that. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so we have to see that as Christians. We, we need to be aware of this pattern. Instead of being shaped by it, we're transformed to be the person that God wants us to be. And last week, we looked at the story of two sisters in the book of Luke. And this was a sister named Martha and a sister named Mary. And Martha, that Jesus had visited their home and, and Martha was just trying to do everything that you're supposed to do. Martha was, was, was getting the food ready. She was getting the place clean. She was doing all this stuff. How many of you guys have ever felt like that stress when people come over to your house? Like, oh my goodness, I've got to get everything together. I've got to make everything right. This was what Martha was feeling. So she was feeling all of this anxiety. And meanwhile, her sister Mary was just over there sitting at the feet of Jesus, just hanging out, just listening to him. And Martha gets so upset and she gets angry and she's like, Jesus, why are you letting her do that? You need to tell her to come help me, come help, come work with me, come do all this stuff. And so what we looked at and Jesus actually said, no, Martha, you need to slow down. You need to slow down. Mary chose the better way. Mary chose the better portion. And so Jesus encourages us to slow down, to sit at his feet. And we talked about how we need to be walking through our lives at God's pace. God wants to walk with you. He wants to be with you. He wants to spend time with you. And if we're just going through just one event after the next, after the next, after the next, after the next, and we never actually slow down and let God speak to us and let God shape us and mold us and pour into our lives, then we can be just spiritually empty. We can be empty. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like that where you're just empty on the inside? It's almost like a cup. I wish I had a cup with me up here. And, and you just, your life is like, you just keep pouring out and pouring out and pouring out. And pretty soon there's nothing left in the cup. 
but yet the demands that are placed on you are still there. They're still there. People still need your energy and your time and you're putting things together. They still need that of you. But for so many of us, we go through one thing after the next, after the next, after the next, and it's just on to the next thing. And we don't have anything left to give. And Martha was like that. And so Jesus said, no, be like Mary, take time, be filled. And so urgency in our lives, it creates this tyranny, something that requires us to drop everything that we're doing and do it right now. Those things will seek to control your life. We looked at the parable of the sower in Luke 8, where Jesus talks about how things come along and they rob us of the fruit that God is trying to grow in us. In Luke 8, 14, as, as, uh, what, as for the seed that fell among the thorns, they are like those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And the fruit does not mature. And so the message last week was to slow down you bear the image of God and you're not some cog in, machine, uh, in a machine of production. Your value is not based on what you produce today. You can take a Sabbath. You can take a day off. You can rest. You can do that. God wants that of you. So why is it important that we slow down? When we don't take the time and intentional care that we need to make sure that we're living in God's word, our lives then are unintentionally shaped by the world around us. This goes back to that Romans 12. It, it, don't be conformed to this world. If we don't take the time to slow down a little bit and let God shape us and let God speak to us and let God add value to our lives, then what happens is, is we break, we do this at a breakneck pace to the next thing, to the next thing, and then suddenly we're formed into what the world wants us to form into. And so we have to do that. Sometimes the struggles that we are facing are not some result of an external factor. It's not that your boss is a jerk or somebody that's weird or your kid's acting up. It's not an external thing. Sometimes the struggles that we're facing are stuff that we did. It's, it's, it's how we've structured our lives. And, and what can happen is that many times these struggles are the result of our internal systems or patterns in our lives that are gone unchecked and now they're formed into the world. We have to be aware of what's going on in the inside of us. We have to be aware of that. If we're not aware of that, then what's happening is the world is shaping us. We've got to be aware of what's going on inside. When Liz and I, in 2014, we built a house in Alabama. This was back when we were living in Alabama. In Phoenix, I looked this up, by the way. In Phoenix, we have nine inches of rain every year nine inches of rain. We love it when it rains in the desert, right? The smell, it smells different. It's just, it's just a cool thing to see rain coming through that. And you can see it from miles away and it just kind of runs, moves in really slow. If you've never done this, sit on your back porch and just watch the rain come in. It's an amazing experience, right? That's a good thing to slow down. By the way, do that. Just put that in your notes. It's good. All right. So nine inches of rain a year, nine inches of rain that come through here in Alabama, where we were from, they had 66 inches of rain every year. 60, that's a five foot six person. If you're a five foot six or below, that means that in Alabama, they get your height or more in, in a year and rain there. So as we were building our house, we just hired a contractor. We didn't know what we were doing. You know, like I'm, I'm kind of handy, but dude, don't make me build a house. I can't do it, right? So we, we hired a contractor and what happened was is he installed the roof wrong. 
And in, what, everything looked beautiful. The house looked amazing, but the roof was installed wrong. And so years later, we had sold it to another family, and then they sold it to another family. And what happened was is the, the, they started seeing this bubble behind the walls inside the house. And they were looking at it, and they were like, whoa, what is that? And so they opened the wall up, and what had happened is the roof was installed wrong. And so in between the walls, between the studs, water was just pouring into the house this whole time. And so tens of thousands of dollars worth of damage was under the surface of this house that on the, look, on the outside looked beautiful. And so many of us, we go through lives, and our concern is that on the outside, we look beautiful. On the outside, everything's great. It looks like I've got everything together. It looks like everything, my job's right. I'm wearing the right clothes. I'm saying the right thing. Got my hair did. I'm, I'm looking good. But on the inside, stuff is happening to us. And we're, 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 we're messed up on the inside. And what God wants to do is God wants to shape us and encourage us and mold us from the inside. God wants you to, God cares about your inside. We are conditioned to look on the surface. That's what, like really what Hollywood is, right? Movies, I mean, they, they, they just look, they're beautiful people. They look amazing. Social media. I mean, you guys ever looked at social media and you're like, you're like, man, that steak looks good. And you're eating your cheeseburger or you're eating your mac and cheese at your house. Or, or you know, it's the style or clothes or makeup and all these things. They show an outward view of who we are as a person. And many people are very good. They're like they are skilled at curating that means like, like a museum person, like putting together these exhibits so that you have a great experience in the museum. Some people are good at curating their outward image, how they dress, they know how to talk, they know what to do and what to say. And this is not necessarily a bad thing. Hygiene's important. Yeah, you need to brush your teeth. You need to put yourself, to, like, you, it's not necessarily bad. I'm not talking about, down about that. You, when you go to work, you need to dress the part. You need to show respect to your job and your coworkers. You need to do that. But the danger that many of us face is that we get so focused on our outward appearance that we ignore the health of our souls. We ignore what's going on under the surface. And in Matthew 23, Jesus critiques the religious people of the day. If you look at Jesus, most of the time when Jesus was interacting with sinners, like he was like, you know what? Um, you, you need help. I'm going to help you. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to tell you to stop sinning. I'm going to do all this stuff. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to be your friend. In fact, he was accused by religious people of being a friend of sinners. But these same religious people, Jesus had critiques of. And if you look in Matthew 23, a lot of the chapter is a critique of religious people of the day. In verse 25, he says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, religious people. He says, you're hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside is full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate and the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which are outwardly beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you are also outwardly appear as righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. We must examine our interior lives in a world that's living on the surface. 
We've got to examine our interior lives on a world. We're living in a world. We're talking about the pattern of this world. That's living on a surface level. They're okay with surface relationships. They're really good at, at, at having in curating what people look like. They're, they're really good at that. That's how the world lives. But we need to examine our interior lives as Christians. For centuries, philosophers have talked about this. Philosophers have, have, have discussed this and they've thought about this for centuries. And, I'm, and uh, two of these guys that I'm going to mention are not Christians. One of them was, and this is what he said. Socrates, who wasn't a Christian, said this. The unexamined life is not worth living. If you don't take the time and examine what's going on inside of you, it's not worth living. That's not a life that's worth living. Later on, Augustine said this, and he was a great church father. He said, oh God, let me know myself. Let me know you. Let me look on the inside and know myself. And later, another philosopher, a rapper named Ice Cube said, you better check yourself or you're going to wreck yourself, right? That's what he said. And so all of these guys who had thoughts throughout the centuries, they're like, we, we, you need to look inside. You need to look at what's happening on the inside of you because we need to be formed in the likeness of God. The worldly view of formation wants to shape us from the outside in. God, but God wants to shape us from the inside out. God transforms us from the inside out. Psalms 51 verse 10. This is after David sinned. He, he had an affair and he actually had the, the husband of the wife of the, uh, the lady that he had an affair. He had him killed because he was the king and he could send into battle whoever he wanted to send into battle. And so he did this. And so David had this massive sin in his life. He messed up. He, and, and sometimes we look at these characters in the Bible and we're like, man, I could never be like that. Well, I guarantee you, most of us in this room, well, I, I can guarantee you, none of us in this room have ever had an affair with someone and killed their spouse. Like we've, we haven't done that, right? David did. David did. And this was his prayer to God whenever he asked God, uh, when God confronted him, when he saw his own sin, he asked God this. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. David understood that inside of him, something was broken and it needed to be addressed. Something was broken and it needed to be fixed. Proverbs uh, 4 verse 23 says this, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow springs of life. And so if you're moving at uh, such a fast pace that you don't allow yourself to slow down and reflect internally, or you're concerned with how perceived, how others perceive you more than you are, your interior life may be struggling. And so if you have your Bibles and we're in Psalms chapter 139, I just want to read a few verses out of this chapter today about how God looks at us internally, how God shapes us internally and how we need to live our lives and how we need to examine ourselves and what he's doing in us. Psalms 139 verse 1. Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and, have, and are acquainted with all my ways. What the writer is saying here is that God doesn't want just a surface relationship with you. Like nothing, there's nothing about you that he's surprised of. You don't have to curate this idea or this image of what you want from God. No, he wants to, he knows all, he sees all, he's everywhere. He, he knows you as you are. Verse seven, he says this, where shall I go from your spirit? 
Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. God knows you and you cannot hide from him. Now in verse seven, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I hide from your presence? That might sound to some of us like a little stalker, stalkery, right? Like police, every breath you take, I'll be watching you. Like that's how some of us might see this. And we think, well, like that's, that's a little weird, but he, he talks about what this actually means in verse eight. And it's actually a really beautiful thing. If I ascend to heaven, when our souls are at peace, when everything's good, when our life is like heaven and we're like, man, this just could not get any better, God is there with you. And then he says, when I make my bed in Sheol, when I am at my worst, when I am just a hot mess of hellish circumstances, when that's what my life looks like, God, you're also there. And so it doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter if, if you feel you came in here today and you're like, dude, life is good. I'm feeling good. Like everything is smooth. Everything's going well. I, I just like everything is, is right in my life. Listen, God wants to be a part of that with you. God wants to direct your steps. God wants to have a relationship with you. And you might have come in here and you'd be like, dude, I don't know how I'm going to make it through today. That might be where you are right now. Listen, God's there with you as well. Whether we're at our highest point or our lowest point, God is always there. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together. We actually sang this earlier. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul soul knows it very well. When you're starting a relationship with someone, we tend to put our best foot forward. We tend to, we tend to you know, like I, I want to I wanna show them the best side of me. In many instances in, in my professional career, I've been a hiring manager at, at, my, at my corporate job. And, and, and I, I have this philosophy about people that they're always on their best behavior in an interview. Like they're always going to be on their best behavior. So if someone's acting up in an interview, there's a good chance they're going to act up later down the road. Like red flags, let's pay attention to this. My daughter, who's 22, she's, she's a senior in college right now in, in Minnesota. And I tell her all the time, I tell her, hey, when you go on a date with someone, that first date, that's the best he's ever going to act, right? So if he's not treating you well, or he's not talking right to you, or he's talking down, or he's, he's making fun of people, like that's the best he's ever going to act. And so you need to be aware of this because we as people during that situation, during that time, that's the most in control of how someone sees you that you'll ever be because they don't know you. They don't know what you're like. They just like, I can just say, if I've never met Mike before, I'm in full control of everything that he knows about me. I can control it. I can shape the narrative with him. And some of us, we approach our relationship with God like this. God, I'm going to show you the best parts of me. God, when it comes to like, when I'm going to talk to God is when I feel really, really spiritual and really, really good. But like we just talked about, when we, when we make our bed and shield, when we're at our depths, God is there. And so as, as David is writing the psalm, he, he brings it all the way back to when I was formed in my mother's womb. God knows more about you than you know about you. So why are you trying to control the narrative? 
Why are you trying to control the narrative with him? Instead, what we should be doing is we should be just opening ourselves up and just saying, God, every part of me, everything that's inside of me, my struggles, my health, my happiness, my, my, my sadness, my depression, my anxiety, my frustrations, every part of me, God, you have access to. Because here's the thing, none of that surprises him. None of it surprises him. He knows you. He knows you. David brings it back to his mother's womb. God knew you when you were just two cells splitting. He knew what was in your heart the first time it beat. So this idea that we can compartmentalize our lives and only show God the best of us is ridiculous. He knows everything and yet he hasn't left you. He hasn't left you. He loves you. Psalms 139 verse 23 and 24. The last two verses of that chapter. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. God, do the inner work in me that only you can do. God wants to transform us from the inside out. He doesn't want just a surface relationship with you. He wants, to, he wants to meet you. He wants access to all of you. He wants access to your whole heart, to your struggles. He wants access to everything because he wants to transform you. For us to be formed by God, we must examine our hearts that, that what we're saying, what we're doing, how we're living, it actually lines up with his word. And so today I want to talk about how we examine our hearts in three different ways. I want to look at three different ways that we examine our lives and to see how they, how they fit with what God is doing, how they fit with what the Bible says that we are and who God says that we are. And so number one, we need to examine our works. We need to look at our works. We need to look at our actions and see, are they consistent with what I say, with what I believe, with, with how my hope is in God? I need to examine my works. Are our actions consistent? Galatians 6, verse 3 through 5 says this, For if anyone thinks he is something, I hope I'm something. If anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Here we see that Paul saying to the Galatian church, we can't blame others for our own shortcomings. We have to own them. So many times I've, I've seen spouses, husbands and wives, you know, whatever he says is wrong with him, it's because of her. And whatever she says is wrong with her is because of him. You guys ever met with anybody like that before? Or whatever's going on in my work, whatever destruction is happening in my work right now, it's my boss's fault. It's their fault. It, they, they're doing that. But what Paul's telling us here is that we have to look inside. We have to look at ourselves and we have to say, well, is there anything in me that needs to change? I told you a story a couple of weeks ago about a prayer an old South African pastor taught me one time when I was struggling. And he, he said, you're going to pray. You want to pray right now to change them, change that other person, change the other person that's acting up, that's not doing the right things, that's saying, that's doing all this ugly, mean stuff to you. But what you need to be praying is God change me. We must examine our works. Secondly, we examine our ways. We examine our ways. These are our thoughts, our habits, our systems. We have to examine our ways, not just our actions, but all the stuff that leads to actions 
to ensure that they line up with God. Lamentations 3 verse 40, it says this, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 10 5, we destroy every uh, our, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Did you know that you can have thoughts that aren't from God? You can have thoughts. You can have ideas that pop in your mind. You can have ways of thinking and patterns of thinking that aren't from God for your life. And what Paul says here is that we have to take those thoughts captive and make them be obedient to Christ. We've got to examine our thought lives. We have to examine the thoughts and the, the things that we're telling ourselves. How many of you guys have ever had a conversation with someone in the car on the way to work? Well, this is what I'm going to tell them today. Anybody else done that? Or is that just me? Okay, everybody has. You're laughing. That's good. Or in the shower, like, you know, afterwards, you, your, your wife has gone to bed and you're mad and you're just like, well, I should have said, I'm going to do all this stuff. No, we have to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Examine our works, examine our ways. Thirdly, we must examine our faith. Examine our faith. Second Corinthians 13 verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you, or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Is my faith and my hope and my trust where they should be? Or have I let the thought patterns of this world dictate where my faith and my hope and my trust is? We talked about this several weeks ago, but back in November, a uh, month ago now, gosh, this year's flown by. It's not like 2020 that went really slow, like this year's going, right? It's probably a good thing. So uh, we talked about this after the election. So many people, they put their hope and they put their faith and they put their trust in a political candidate, but really our trust and our hope and our faith should be in Jesus. Is my hope and my faith and my trust, is it where it should be? That's not saying that you can't like things and you can't align yourself here on earth, but Jesus is our number one thing that we align ourselves to. Is our hope where it should be? Is it in Jesus or is it in somewhere else? So we examine our works, we examine our ways, and we examine our faith. When we examine ourselves like this, we can connect with God in fresh and new ways. When we examine ourselves like this, so you have to slow down sometimes and you have to say, what's going on inside of me? It's not just like, what did I say? And let me like kind of armchair quarterback, like this conversation that I have with my wife or my kids or this thing I did at work and think about it after the fact. But sometimes we got to slow down in the moment and say, what's going on inside of me? What's going on right now? I remember one time Liz and I, we were fighting about something. We were young married kids you know, like you never fight at that age. Um, and we were fighting about something. And I remember I was on the phone, which I don't recommend fighting on the phone ever. And we were on the phone, we were fighting and, and, and we had this disagreement and she was dug in and I was dug in. And I remember feeling this sense of like dread. Like if this keeps going the way that it does, like we're both so dug in that we're not, we're like, there's no way around this. Like we're not gonna get over this issue. There's no way. I remember thinking that in my heart. And all of a sudden it was like, I didn't care if I won anymore. Like I didn't care if I won that argument. Like I was just like, look, I, I love this woman more than I care about winning this argument. 
And so this idea of like slowing down and like knowing what's going on in your heart in the moment. Now, I could have said, I really want to win this argument and I'm just going to keep going at her. Or I had to slow down. I had to back up and I had to say, what's going on inside of me right now? And so I remember telling her, I was like, hey, this is something that the enemy's trying to use to split us. And the fact that you have an opinion and you have a perspective and you have a way of doing this and you have a way of thinking about this issue and mine's different, then maybe what we should do is we should come together and attack the problem instead of having the problem attack us. And so that's what we did. And so, uh, but, but we have to go back to this idea of slowing down, of looking inside and seeing what's happening inside of us, of prioritizing relationships instead of our own pride and our own arrogance. We have to do this in our lives so that we can be formed in a way that God wants to form us. In, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul addresses this issue with the Corinthian church. What happened was, is that people were approaching communion. They were approaching this idea, this, this time where they reminded themselves of Jesus's work on the cross. They were approaching this, this, this sacred act of communion, of taking G, the, the bread that represents Jesus' body and the, blood that re, or the, the cup that represents his blood. They were approaching it almost in a flippant way. Like, okay, this is just motions that I got to go through. This is just what we do at church. This is just what we do at home. This is just part of, part of delivering the mail every day. This is just what we do. And, and, and that's how they were approaching it, going through the motions, and they didn't have a sincere heart of repentance or self-examination when they were interacting with Jesus in this way. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27 through 30. He says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord, so whoever has this time with the Lord and they do this in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink the cup. If anyone who eats, um, who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why so many of you are weak and ill and some have died. So many of you are weak and so many of you are ill and some have died. Some have even gone to the, the ends of, of losing life. And this can be both, both physical, this can be spiritual, where we dig in so much, we're so flippant, we don't examine ourselves and we become weak, ill. And then the end of that, the end of sin is death. We know that. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. You need to know this today, that Jesus has done the work of your salvation. Like that's been done. Like Jesus said at the end when he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. So there's nothing more that you need to do to add to what Jesus has already done. Like you don't need to like do the right things and say the right things just so that you can be saved. You're saved. Jesus has done that for you. You commit, the, the Bible says you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you've done that, if you, you've accepted that work that Jesus did, then you're saved. There's not, there's not more that you're going to add to that. But our prayer and our examination, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that's our rightful response to what Jesus has done in our lives. If my wife walks in, and hands me a wrapped gift 
and I say, oh, that's good, and I just throw it down and walk away from it, is that a good way to handle that gift? No. Instead, what I do is I, oh, this is awesome. Thank you so much. I have like this response of appreciation, this response of engaging back into the relationship. When we're talking about examining our lives, this isn't so that you get more saved. You're already saved if you put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus. But this is our rightful response to what Jesus has done for us. And so we have to examine our lives. Philippians 1 verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. When we're looking at our lives, may it be worthy of the gift that Jesus gave us of himself. The goal of self-examination is not so you become more self-centered or narcissistic. This is an idea of you, like, we, we, I need to look at myself more. I need to think about myself more. You know, you guys know, know the, the, the quote, you know, um, being a good person is not thinking of yourself less. It's thinking less of yourself. No, other way around. You guys know that, right? You've heard it, right? Not thinking of yourself less, but thinking less of yourself. You don't need to be like that. But for some of us, when we look at self-examination, we're like, man, if I'm going to do this, then I'm going to be self-centered. And this is going to be like navel gazing. I'm just going to be looking inside the whole time and just thinking that, you know, God's going to do that. But, but really, it's not about being more self-centered. It's so that I can identify the parts that are in me, my actions, my thoughts, my ways of life, my faith, where I put my hope and my trust. I can identify those parts that don't line up with what Jesus has done in me. And whether you've been a Christian for 30 hours or 30 years, we all have parts of our lives that have yet to be submitted to him fully. I believe that. We talk about that here at Connective all the time. I want you to take one step closer to Jesus. I want you to move closer to Jesus. There's parts of all of us that can be further submitted to him, further in love with him, further leaning into him. There are parts of all of us that do that. And so when we look at self-examination, we look at what is in my life that needs to be submitted to him further. When we do this, we actually become less self-centered and more Christ-centered. And so I want to take a moment today. You've got the communion cup in your seat. I want you to take that. But instead of just jumping right in, I want to actually leave a moment of just silence between you and God. But I want to leave a direction for you. I want you to ask God a couple things. What in me is not lining up what, what are some sin, sins in my life? What are some ways that I've, I've, I've acted against God? I've spoken against God. What are some things in my life that I've just been allowing? James chapter 5 says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. And then he says, the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. You want to pray powerful and effective prayers? Like, tell God what your sin is. And so as we do this, as we, as we take a moment and we just ask God, what are the things in my life? What are my works and my ways and my faith? What are the, these things that we looked at today? What are some of those things that don't line up? I just want you to ask God that, and I just want you to sit there and listen. I feel like I've talked to you enough today. I want God to talk to you for a little bit.